At 8.46 on September 11th, a plane flew into the World Trade Center, and we all remember that now. Laura and I happened to be in Chicago that day. We had not been able to celebrate our 10th anniversary, so we had, we had gone to Chicago for our honeymoon, so we'd gone back to Chicago for kind of a second honeymoon. So we were up on the 12th or the 14th floor of a hotel, had the big window in front of us and the John Hancock Tower there. Right next to it was the television, and we had turned down the news that morning, and what came up was that a tower had been hit. At 9.03, we saw the second plane fly into the tower, and we knew something was going on. Chicago shut down. Uh, I worked in Chicago for years, and I'd never seen it like this. We went out a little later that day, and the city itself was completely empty. We walked down the sidewalk, got to the John Hancock Tower, and the police wouldn't let us anywhere near that block and sent us away from it because they were afraid it was going to come down also. And all of us have these memories of what was going on on 9-11. At 9.37, a plane flew into the Pentagon. And at 10.03, Flight 93 was taken down by the passengers uh, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, probably saving the Capitol building or the White House. The sacrifice that those people made was an amazing thing. And, of course, we have the recording of the man saying, let's roll, as they were getting ready to go and take, out, take on the terrorists. And they were terrorists, and make no mistake, our nation was attacked that day, and we do have an enemy. Now, of course, there are those today who do not want to define the enemy, and the enemy is Islamic terrorism. That, that is the enemy. Um, we are dealing with something that has been called a logical fallacy. A logical fallacy is something that is presented as truth, but based on just the laws of logic, it's completely false. And one of the reasons that we are struggling in this battle today, 10 years later, is because of something that's called multiculturalism. And that's based on a logical fallacy that... It's called the equality of ideas. The equality of ideas. It's the equivalence doctrine. And that's the idea that every culture, every religion, every idea is equally valid. And so what you hear often is that fundamentalist Islam is no more harmful than fundamentalist Christianity. Have you heard someone say something like that? And it's said so often on MSNBC or CNBC or ABC, CBS, we hear it so often that we think that it's true. We think that there may be some reality to it, but I'm here to tell you today that it is not true. People who believe the Bible and take it literally, do you know what they do? You know what they do? They give people freedom. They give their lives so that others can be free. That's what happens when a nation believes the word of God. Do you know what happens when a nation believes the word of God? Women are free. 
They're not forced to have their bodies mutilated. They're not forced to walk behind a man. They're not forced to never get behind the wheel of a car. They're not forced to never learn how to read. In America, or in any Christian nation, we understand that women in the Bible were used to communicate the Word of God over and over and over again. Ladies teaching ladies and the significance. The first person to tell of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a lady. There is not an equality of ideas. You see, when people believe the Word of God and when a nation believes the Word of God and takes it literally and goes to the fundamentals of the Word of God, do you know what happens? Slaves are made free. People are no longer judged by their race because the Bible says that He's made of every nation one blood. We're all just people. That's what happens when the Bible is believed in its fundamentals. You see, a fundamentalist is one who believed in core truths of the Word of God. That's where the term came from. It has been morphed into this idea of repression and hatred and murder only as it's applied rightly to Islam. You see, a fundamentalist Christian believes in the liberty of the individual soul. Every man was created by God. Every woman, every child has been created by God and will at the last day stand before God and give an account based on their obedience or disobedience to the Word of God. Because of that, every man is a free moral agent. You you cannot force a person to believe something. And yet, in fundamentalist Islam, What they're told is either persuade with the tongue or kill with the sword. And they're promised rewards for doing that. But in the word of God, if you murder, you are to be murdered. Why? Because you cannot take someone's life without consequences. And so this equality of ideas is a big problem. We have heard over and over again that the reason that they attacked us is because we are evil. They attacked us because we are worldly. Well, to a certain extent, there may be some truth to that. We are not a righteous nation anymore. And I think we would all agree with that. Any nation that wants to condone the marriage between a woman and a woman or a man and a man, that is not righteous. Could we all agree with that? It is not righteous to kill babies. That is not righteous. But that's not why they hate us. They hate us because we are not Muslim. Again, make no mistake here. It is not because of our freedoms. Even though many people say that, they want to kill us for our freedoms. No, they want to kill us because we are not Muslim. And that is beyond dispute. It's not that there are different opinions about this. That is simply the truth. That's what's going on. And yet we hear the reason that they attacked us is because of our presence in the Middle East. Well, I want you to understand something. In 1972, 
Ten members of a local mosque phoned in a false alarm and then ambushed the responding officers, killing one in New York City. In January of 1973, Muslim extremists robbed a sporting goods store for weapons, gunning down the police officer who responded to the alarm. In Bethesda, Maryland in 1973, an Israeli diplomat is gunned down in his driveway by Palestinian terrorists. In 1973, in Washington, D.C., Nation of Islam members shoot seven members of a family to death in cold blood, including four children. A defendant in the case is later murdered in prison on orders from Elijah Muhammad. In 1973, in Oakland, California, a Nation of Islam terrorists kidnap a couple and nearly decapitate the man while forcing and leaving the woman for dead. In 1973, in Berkeley, California, California a woman is shot repeatedly in the face by Nation of Islam terrorists. The, we're, we haven't gotten out of 1973 yet. This idea that the war on terror is new, it's only because Americans have very short memories. We forget about the 10 people who were kidnapped in Beirut, Lebanon. We forget about the, the embassy in Beirut being destroyed and more than 200 of our soldiers being killed. We forget about the USS Cole as it was bombed and many soldiers, many of our soldiers were killed. We forget about the first attack on the World Trade Center. And see, one of the problems that comes from, not, from refusing to identify your enemy is we fail to heed the warnings. When they say they want to destroy us and drive us into the sea, we should probably believe that they want to destroy us and drive us into the sea. I think one of the things is that we think they're politicians. And they don't mean what they say. No, these are religious zealots who simply want to kill us because we don't believe the way that they believe. The policy of our government today is to not call it Islamic terror. That is the, that is the official policy of our nation. A memorandum was, set up, was sent out from the top of our government that said, at the 9-11 remembrances, do not refer to the war on terror. Look with me in Romans chapter 13. I want you to see something. Don't worry. This is going to get better. Okay? Romans chapter 13. Look at it with me. Verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. According to Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, especially in a system like the United States of America, we get the government that we deserve. Amen? All right. Then look at verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now look at what the Bible says in verse 4. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath, Upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Now, 
What is this passage talking about? This is talking about human government. God has ordained human government, and we as citizens are supposed to submit to the government that God has placed over us. Is that very clear in that text? Absolutely. And you say, well, wait a minute. It can't be talking about this government. Now, regardless, if you are a Democrat, you didn't like George Bush. If you are a conservative Republican, you don't like Barack Obama. How many of you would say that's probably a fair statement? Right? But regardless, do you know who, is, do you know who was the ruler when this was written? Nero. Now, as a person who is just to the right of Genghis Khan, uh, Barack Obama is, Obama is not my favorite person. But can I say something? I would vote for Barack Obama over Nero. Would anyone agree with me? Amen. Now, here's the situation. It is our job to pray for our leadership. We pray for them. We pray for them. And we must remember that we have the government that we deserve. This government that does not believe that we are in a battle against Islamic terror. And again, that's not open for debate. The statement that I just made is a statement of fact. Do you all understand that? It's a statement of fact from the administration. This is also a statement of fact. We voted them in. Is that right? Now you're saying, I didn't. But we as a nation, do we have any Americans here? We as a nation voted this government in. And so what becomes our responsibility at this point? We just have to make sure our voice is heard. We must let our leaders know that we do believe that we are in a war against Islamic terror. Because you cannot defeat an enemy until you define the enemy. Is that right? And here is our problem. What we end up running into by not identifying who the enemy is, is we end up with a situation like this. Al-Qaeda had a few goals when they attacked us in 2011. The first was to become the worldwide leader in jihad. You know, among the jihadis, they wanted to be in the top place. They also wanted to persuade Muslims that America is weak and can be defeated. Now, are we weak? No, we're not weak. When we have the national will to go and do something, it is generally accomplished. Would you agree with that? We are sometimes politically weak, but nationally we're very strong. Then, to stir far more Muslims to jihad, that is, a holy war, that today can be defined as an Islamist revolution. And then they also wanted to mobilize forces in order to challenge and eventually overthrow all of the existing regimes in the Sunni Muslim areas, replacing Arab nationalism in many of those countries with Islamism as the main ideology. So what is that talking about? What they wanted to do was overthrow these nations that are Arab-led and where their national identity is in their... Arabness. They want to change it from that to where their, their national identity is their, their form of Islam. And this is what we see happening all over the world. Sometimes we're asked, are we winning the war on terror? 
And I must say, as I stand here today, the answer is a resounding no. Because as we sit here today, as I stand here today, in the world right now, we have lost Egypt as an ally. Right now, Egypt is moving forces into the Sinai Peninsula. That is the area, peninsula, between Egypt and Israel. And when Mubarak was overthrown, now you have the the largest, most powerful voice in Egypt is the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, what's interesting is one of the, the heads of our State Department said that the Muslim Brotherhood is a secular organization. Now, now let, me, let me say this again. He said, the Muslim Brotherhood is a secular organization. That would be like saying that Grace Baptist Church is a secular organization. Are we a secular organization? No, we're a church. The Muslim Brotherhood, do you know what the Muslim Brotherhood is? It's a Muslim organization. I know you're getting some profound information here this morning. But what happens is now you have, because Mubarak was a dictator and he was a horrible man. Are we all in agreement that Mubarak was a horrible man? But here's our problem. We have been brainwashed in our culture with this doctrine of equivalence. And we somehow have this idea that our Republican version of democracy. Now, by Republican, I don't mean Republican Democrat. I mean, we have a representative republic not a socialist democracy. Is that right? Do you all understand the difference? We have a representative leadership. We elect people who know more than us, and they go and make the decisions. Oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. But you understand, that is our form of government. Does anyone remember fifth-grade civics, or do, do we have fifth-grade civics anymore? I'm not sure. I don't know. But I was taught that in fifth grade. All right? We have a representative republic, a democracy, a full-on democracy is chaos, right? Because the majority is almost always wrong on everything. So here's our problem. Because we have been told that we are a democracy, that's all we hear. We don't hear republic anymore. We hear democracy. Is that right? Would you all agree with that? Because we've been told that we are a democracy, What we believe is that's going to be the best form of government for every place in the world. Folks, it's not. It is not. Our founders said, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, several of them made this same statement. We have records of several of them making this same statement. Our system of government is only for a righteous and a holy people. So now I guess we just have to decide, are the Arab nations righteous and holy? Now, we've already determined that we're not anymore, okay? So before you start calling me a racist, it has nothing to do with your race. There's an ideology. There is a, a the German to be zeitgeist. There's a, there's a mindset to a culture Our culture still is based on the Ten Commandments. I don't care what anybody says. Our understanding of right and wrong is based on the Ten Commandments. Would you all agree with that? 
in, in the United States, that is still where we are. There are fringes that want to get rid of that, but for the most part, America would still say that there is right and wrong. There is evil in the world. But what happens when you try and take that form of government over to Egypt? Well, in Egypt, you have a group of people who have been taught over years and years and years that right means that you kill anyone who disagrees with you. You kill all the Christians, you subvert and subdue the women, and you only allow one point of view to be espoused. How many of you think a democracy is going to work in that system? They want... We have people from the United States, good old Jimmy Carter, that bastion of common sense. He wants to go over and he wants to say, let's all just, let's give them votes. Yes, they're going to vote to kill us. This equality of ideas. And so what we end up with are situations like this. This is Diaz. D-I-A-Z. Um, uh, he was in the meeting where I was teaching in, in, in near Beirut, Lebanon. He lives in Homs. You've seen that, H-O-M-S. You've seen it on the news often in Syria. It's the hotbed of all the uprising against Assad in Syria. All right? He's a pastor there. This man pastors a Baptist church in Homs in Syria. If Assad is overthrown and democracy comes to Syria, he will be killed. Now, I, I want this to become very real to you. This is not just people in general. This brother in Christ, a man who believes just like we do, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is sacrificing his life, he will die if Assad is overthrown. This is Yaqub. I'm sorry, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. And this is Barnabas. These are three pastors in Sudan. Yaqub is in Kadugli. Uh, uh, Barnabas is in the southern part. And then he is in Khartoum. The week before I took this picture, his home was completely looted and burned. His church and the Bible college they had established burned to the ground. His church members had fled into a U.N. compound. And the Egyptian soldiers that were guarding the compound, the United Nations Egyptian soldiers, allowed the Muslims to come into the compound. And one of his ladies had two little children killed right in front of her. The week before I took this picture. This is the battle, folks. This is what's going on. What has happened in Sudan, in the northern part of Sudan, they now have a Muslim government. And so what they're doing is they're systematically killing all of the Christians in Sudan over and over and over again. This is... Now, now let me ask you a question. Equality of ideas. Fundamentalist Christianity says, preach the gospel to every creature. That's what fundamentalist Christianity says. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As you have opportunity, be good unto every man, especially them who are of the household of faith. That's what fundamentalist Christianity says. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
That's what Christianity says. Christianity says, render unto no man evil for evil. That's what Christianity says. Islam says, go kill the children. Equality of ideas. This man and his family, obviously just an unbelievably beautiful family, this man was pastoring in Baghdad, and Zawahiri's forces asked him to take down the cross from in front of his church. He said he wouldn't do it, so they shot him. And now he is in a wheelchair. Um, I, don't, I don't have the picture, but I have, we have another pastor, and we support the ministry there through Brother Fagali, who has the first Christian radio, the first Christian radio station in Baghdad, and his church is the Bible Baptist Church of Baghdad. And he is from Iraq. He was put in prison by Saddam Hussein when he was 19 years old for preaching the gospel for a year. Now he's in his 50s, still preaching the gospel in Iraq. But now, because we have American soldiers there and American leadership training the police, the police send four armed policemen, AK-47s, four of them to the church for every service to protect them from the Muslims because the Muslims want to kill every Christian in Iraq. See, the way that things are done, it's vitally important. It is vitally important. Uh, if we just let the Muslims run free in these nations, they will kill our brothers and sisters in Christ. They will kill them, folks. So here's the question. Do we have any responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ in other areas? We especially do if it is our government that has policies that will cause them to be killed. So what do we do? This is Jerusalem. This is the old city. Down here is the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. And you can see some... Jewish men down here heading to pray at the Western Wall. This is the Dome of the Rock, the Mosque of Omar, and that is on the Temple Mount. This wall right here is the Western Wall of the Temple Mount. And this, is, this huge building is the second most important place in Islam. Um, the Palestinian Authority controls the Temple Mount, and I have no idea how that was negotiated, but the, the Palestinian Authority controls the Temple Mount. And so very often the, Palestine, the, the, the Temple Mount is closed to visitors. You can't get there. Because what will happen is they'll come out of this mosque and they'll go to the Western Wall. And there's all kinds of rubble up here because they've destroyed uh, buildings and things because they don't want the Jews to have any claim to an uh, archaeological claim to that area. So there's all kinds of rubble on top of the Temple Mount. And what they'll do is they'll go and get rocks and start throwing them down at the people who are praying right here. And so they will close the Temple Mount. But here's the question. Grace Baptist Church visitors. Here at Grace Baptist Church, we believe in the authority of the Scriptures. This is our authority. I'm not the authority here. This is the authority. This is what we believe. So the, the message that I've given so far could incite us, let's go kill them all. No, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? You see this? This is the kind of tree that the crown of thorns that Jesus Christ wore. They cut one of those branches and wove it into a crown and beat it into our Savior's head. And I just thought it was so interesting 
the way those thorns are superimposed over the dome of the rock. Look at Romans chapter 5 with me. I want you to see something. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. Therefore, and what he's done is he has established in Romans chapter 1 that we are all accountable to God, that God has revealed himself in the very creation. In Romans chapter 2, he's told us that every person in the world in their conscience knows that God exists. And then in Romans chapter 3, God sent the light of Jesus Christ. Here in Romans chapter 5, because of those things that he's taught, he's going to tell us something. Romans chapter 4 is about how Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness and that if you're going to believe God, it's got to be by faith. All right? Therefore, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. What does that mean, justified by faith? What the Bible is telling us is that God will declare us guilty or righteous based on our faith, based on what we believe. You can't just believe whatever you want to believe and be justified by God. You're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe in this life. That's the American ideal, isn't it? Is that right? You can believe anything you want to believe, and these men who are up here will die for your right to believe and say anything you want to believe and say. That's the American way. Is that right? Because that's the biblical way. But that doesn't mean that every idea is equal. I like what Ravi Zacharias says. In one culture, they say, love your neighbor. In another culture, they say, eat your neighbor. Which one do you prefer? Right? But what the Bible says is that you're justified, declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. You're believing his death, burial, and resurrection, that he died on the cross because we're sinners, and that he rose from the dead the third day, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. Is that right? And if you believe that, you confess your sin to him, you repent, you say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, I deserve hell, you died on the cross for me, I believe that you rose, for, died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for my sin, I believe that, please forgive me and be my savior. What happens then is you're justified, God declares you righteous, you are now righteous, not based on what you've done, but based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's what this verse is saying, look at what it says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So not only are we saved by faith, but we stand. There's nothing. Once you're born again, there's nothing you can do to be unborn again. If you're born, have you ever seen someone who was born be unborn? They can die, but they can't be unborn. Is that right? Well, once you're born again, you can't be unborn again. Look at what the Bible says in verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now look at what the Bible says. Think about this picture. And look what the Bible says. For when we were yet without strength... In due time, Christ died for the godly. Is that what the Bible says? What does the Bible say? For the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, 
For a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, approved, showed, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, it doesn't help our nation at all to refuse to acknowledge that our enemy in this war is Islamic terrorism, radical Islam. That that doesn't help us any good to deny that fact. But for believers, for believers, do you know who these people are? These are people for whom Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed His blood. And through the centuries, hundreds of preachers have been willing to give their lives to go and give these people the gospel. Do you know what happens when people go and give them the gospel? Do you know what happens? You end up with people like this who are willing to give the gospel. This man pastors a church in Beirut, Lebanon. These men, they went back to Sudan. This gentleman right here, that's everything he owns. You're looking at everything he owns in the world. He went back to Sudan to preach the gospel. This man, he loaded up a bus with the 12 people that he had brought with him from his church in Syria, knowing that Assad will probably fall any day. He drove back in to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, one of the mistakes that we can make as Americans, as American believers, and I think that it's a huge mistake that the the so-called religious right has made in America, and that is that we can be seen or perceived as warmongers. We have people in this room who have been in war. None of them are anxious to see war happen. It's not clean. It's dirty. It's horrible. It's awful. We will, as a nation, go to war if we need to. But we as Christians have to be sure that we are on the side of the right when we go. Do you know it would be so much better? It would be better if we sent missionaries instead of soldiers. Wouldn't that be better? And because we haven't sent enough missionaries, that's why we end up sending soldiers. You see, the answer is not war. Now, if you're here and you're saying, man, this guy is a code pink, anti-war, crazy. No, no, not at all. But if they're dead, how can they receive the gospel? If our soldiers die, what happens to their families? We need to think long and hard before we send people into harm's way. Would you all agree with that? And we as believers, especially on a day like today, what we have here, Dr. Lasanti brought this flag. It's called the Flag of Heroes. This flag is created from the names of the emergency services personnel who gave their lives to save others in the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Now and forever, it represents their immortality. We shall never forget them. You see, a day like this, we should be praying for these families. Those who have died, it would do no good to pray for them. They've gone to meet their God. And they have already stood before God and answered, What have you done with my son? But for those who are living, 
We need to pray that this horrible, horrible tragedy can be used in their lives to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're with us today, if you died today, are you sure that you would go to heaven? Are you 100% sure? Listen to what 1 John 5.13 says. This is an amazing verse. If you want to look at it, you can. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? If you don't, you can get that settled today. You see, there's a Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. He is God. He came from the Father. He came and took on flesh and bones. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is speaking. He says, Thou hast prepared for me a body. God prepared a body for His Son, Jesus Christ. And the purpose of that body was so that it could be spat upon, whipped, beaten with rods, beaten with a cat of nine tails, and then nailed to a cross, a spear thrust in his side. The reason that body was created was so that it could die to pay for your sin and for my sin. He only had to die once. He was buried. He rose from the dead the third day, proving that he was and is and always will be God. But that doesn't mean that everybody gets to go to heaven. Somehow, that sacrifice has to be applied to your account. That can only be applied to your account by faith. You see, if you believe that your membership in a church will take you to heaven, then what you're saying is Jesus Christ's sacrifice wasn't necessary. If you think that your good works are good enough to take you to heaven, then what you're saying is that Jesus Christ's sacrifice wasn't necessary. If you believe that your baptism will wash away your sins and take you to heaven, then what you're saying is that Jesus Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. But what we understand from the Word of God was Christ's sacrifice was necessary and it was enough. Isn't that wonderful? And that's the hope for the Middle East. That's the hope for Muslims. That's the hope for Jews. That's the hope for Hindus. That's the hope for Baptists. <laughs> that's the hope for Americans. Our only hope is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was necessary, and it's enough. On this day when we remember the sacrifice of those who gave their lives, uh, the, the, watching that video, I'm sure almost everyone in here had tears in their eyes seeing those people run into the towers and the towers fall. There was a verse there. It said, Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And what Jesus Christ did was he called you friend, and then he stretched out his arms and died. He did that for you. The most important sacrifice that was ever made was the sacrifice of the Son of God for the sins of the world. Let's remember that today. As we remember the sacrifice of those on 9-11 and all of those soldiers who have died since then who are still dying today in this war on terror. We need to pray. We need to pray that we can convert the enemy rather than have to kill them. Amen? But, according to Romans 13, if they come to do evil against us, what has God given the government? 
the sword of terror to wage war. I like this, the, uh, the motto of the Marine Corps. We can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Right? Amen. And we pray for our military as they go out. But we need people to understand the message of the gospel. How many of you think there are Muslims in the world that would love to live under our liberty? Wouldn't they? They would love it. They would love it. But that liberty doesn't come from a government. That liberty comes from the Word of God. The Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. Thank you for the sacrifice of those who gave their lives on 9-11.